Welcome to The Lex Factor, a lawfully good podcast where we'll brief you on the business of law so you can build a better practice and capture more billable hours. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the newest episode of The Lex Factor. I am your special guest fill-in host, Randy Shorefide. To my right, I have a new sub co-host, and that is Sue Cunningham. Sue. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Yes, two new voices for a lot of our regular listeners. So, And why is that? Well, Lauren Hoffman, the regular host, and Brad Pobble, our regular co-host, they are off in Austin, Texas at some convention, supposedly. 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 Air quotes. Air quotes. That okay. is correct. Supposedly. <laughs> Who knows what they're doing? Right. But anyway, um, regarding today, today's episode, three things that I'm really excited about. One is Sue. Sue is a new voice. Um, and it's always nice to have a co-host to bounce things off yeah. of. And so that's one. Second, uh, my son is coming home to visit. He lives in eastern Montana. He moved up there last July, so I'm just counting down the time until he lands here in St. Louis. Yeah, that's awesome. Yes, it's a good it day. Is. My my wife and I are texting. Uh, oh, our son, yep, wheels up. Oh, he's probably here by now. So the third thing that I'm really excited about is today's guest. And today's guest, her name is Megan Elizabeth Gray. And why am I excited? Because she recently wrote a great article that was published in uh, the ABA Journal. And so, Megan Elizabeth Gray. Megan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, Sue. I'm really thrilled to be here. I really appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So, why why am I excited? One, because Megan, she's based in London, so it's our first international guest. <laughs> but even more important than that, she wrote a great article, and I'll let and as we get into it, I'll let her set up the article. But I saw her article come across my LinkedIn feed. And I immediately read it. I stopped what I was doing. I read it, and it was great. We hadn't, we haven't had a guest talk on this perspective, and so that's why I sent a, a cold or blind uh, direct message via LinkedIn. She responded, I believe, within an hour, and I'm like, oh my <laughs> gosh, I'm like, wow, she was ready. Yeah, she was. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> and so, but it was great. I, I I read the article twice, and I'm like, my gosh, she she responded. The other cool thing is. Uh, she is an associate um, uh, an associate counsel for Condé Nast. That's that makes it even more special. So, Megan, if you wouldn't mind, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thank thank you. Thank you. So, as you said, I'm now an associate counsel at Condé Nast, the publisher of Vogue and GQ and number of other um, sort of you know society leading magazines um, and other digital media. Um, which is an incredible opportunity. Um, I guess going back a little bit, how I how I normally like to introduce myself is to say that I always wanted to live a life that means something for others and our world. And that always manifested since I was young in wanting to be a lawyer. I, you know, I grew up in New York and I think I always envisioned perhaps being in court, fighting for justice in some way or another. That's what I sort of always saw. And, you know, I guess, um, as you know, as my life progressed, I you know I went to law school in New York. I actually then ended up moving to London, right out of law school for my first job at a large international law firm. And you know, I think even though I was doing corporate law in a corporate law firm, you know, I think the way that I continued to, I guess, live my purpose in many ways of trying to create positive impact in our world was starting my advocacy for women. So what I had seen quite quickly in my experience was that. 
the industry I was in was incredibly male dominated on a number of levels, both just in numbers alone, but also in sort of the culture that I saw. And so, you know, sort of over time, as I continued in my advocacy efforts, such as being you know, co-chair of the Women's Network at my firm, you know, it's, it's not quite perhaps what I envisioned at the start of my life or st start of my legal career. Um, it's not what I thought it would look like, but I, you know, I'm, I'm really proud for, proud of what, you know, I have been able to do, um, and particularly lately with this article, in terms of using my own story, my own personal experience, sharing it, using my voice, and creating what I believe are positive ripple effects, and ultimately what will be positive change in the industry. I'm a big fan of the Actors Studio program. I don't know if Sue or Megan, if you're aware of that program, it's a, I don't know, it's probably 15, 20 years old. It was on the A&E network. And the host, James Lipton, always used to start whenever he interviewed a guest saying, let's start from the beginning. And I'm not going to ask where you were born or whatever. But the one thing I w did want to ask you, Megan, what led you to become want, to want to become a lawyer? Was there someone in your life or was there a specific event or whatever? What, what, what led you down the path to want to become a lawyer? Yeah, no, I really appreciate you asking that because I it's something I have thought about. And of course, people have asked me when I say that I wanted to be a lawyer since I was seven. That's what I recall. Mm -hmm. And there weren't any lawyers in my family. You know, I think I had seen some movies about lawyers, like a movie called Eye for an Eye, mm -hmm. that I remember leaving an impact on me. But I think it was always this feeling. And I, you know, I don't know how I always how I felt this way or knew this as, you know, as as a, as a child, but the sense that as a lawyer, you could make positive impact. Like it gives you this platform or privilege or responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how I always felt, the sense of sort of being called to live a life that meant more than just me. And, you know, I, I did always see that in the context of, of sort of justice for women. Mm -hmm. You know, I would go around when I was little saying that I was going to be the first female president. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I, so I think that was, you know, it was sort of always in my mind of like, this is a career that... I want to do because it feels like it means something. Right. You know, I really love that. And just um, listening to you talk, you can really hear the passion just coming out of you. And I appreciate that so much being a woman <laughs> and you know, somewhat <laughs> in the industry. Um, but the passion that is just coming from you is amazing. So I really appreciate that. I really appreciate you using your platform um, for something like this, which, you know, many of us have experienced these things, but for whatever reason, don't use a platform, whatever platform that may be. Um, so you've done that. And I think that's yeah. amazing. Um, Absolutely. And I, and I know a lot of people also don't, you know, a lot of women also don't have the privilege of having a platform. That's true. That's how I feel. Yeah. Like incredibly privileged now, especially. Right as the article had gained momentum, yeah. to have this ability, you know, to continue to share my story and my, my view. Have you gotten used to people coming up to you or asking you questions about this amazing article that you wrote? <laughs> <laughs> I have, you know, it's, it's been really wonderful. Yeah. I have to say the number of people I've connected with, not just women, definitely women and men from around the world, mm -hmm. truly from around the world mm -hmm. who had reached out to me or I've connected with on LinkedIn as a result. Um, and not just this article, I guess. You know, I feel like LinkedIn has been an incredible source of connection for me, as I know it is for a number of, you know, for many, many people, as probably particularly given, um, you know, the experiences that we've all had through the pandemic of not mm -hmm. really being able to connect as well in person. Um, but yeah, but even prior to this article, I think just some of the connections I've built uh, 
you know, through LinkedIn um, of people who I felt had similar passion to me mm-hmm. or similar ideas. And it was just a really great way to um, connect and share stories and ideas and, you know, I guess ultimately goals and our, you know, respective purposes. Yeah, I, I hear you say, you know, women and men have commented. And interesting enough, I went in on, you know, went to your LinkedIn and um, read some of the comments. And you're right. It was interesting to see that men did jump on board. Yeah. What kind of feedback have you been getting from the men versus the females? Yeah, I think it's been... I would, I would definitely say supportive from both men and women, just because men and women have different experiences. Mm-hmm. I think the nature of the comments have been different. You know, mm-hmm. I think I hear from, from mostly women, you know, a lot of like, thank you. And this sounds so familiar, or I've had the same experience, or this really resonates. And then I think from men, it's, it's also been a thank you. And like, we must do better, but not necessarily having had the same experience. Mm -hmm. Although I certainly have um, heard from some men, like this happened to my wife. Uh, So, you know, so they have also had some personal connection to it, or, you know, I've, I've heard like I have daughters and, um, you know, thank you for, for what you're doing because I want a better world for them. Mm -hmm. Right. I'll, I'll be completely transparent. I didn't want to do this interview myself because I don't know. I'll be honest. I'm a man. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Well, yeah. I can't put myself in Megan's place. Not just because she's a lawyer, but she's a female and yeah, a lawyer. Yeah. And so, you know, I can only I can only relate to a certain context. And so that's why I was purposefully seeking out a female colleague of mine to sit in. I wanted to have you know both perspectives. And as I'm listening to both Sue and you, Megan, speak, I'm just trying to to understand because I, yes. you know, if I'm a fee, if I were a female, it could be, I could be in that same, that same mindset because I'm not, I don't know your situation or your circumstances other than reading them. Yeah. I, but I want to make sure I understand. And the other funny thing is I've worked at Lexicon for two years. I've talked to, <laughs> I've talked to, I've talked to Sue a couple of times mm-hmm. via email. Never. This is the first time she and I are in the same room. We've never met. <laughs> right, never, never, because it, that's just been the nature of our jobs. Yeah. But in your article, it said you were you were the uh, the chair of the Women's Network at this international law firm. Was that your idea to start that? Yes. Let, let me just say something first. Actually, sure. Randy, just on your earlier point sure. um, that you're trying to understand, right. I just wanted to say I really appreciate that. And I think, you know, my hope would be that men do feel welcome to contribute engage right. in this conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I think that's, that's always how I feel when I hear, you know, when, when I see a man participating and engaging, I, I just, I always feel grateful. So that's what I would always want to cr- create the space sure. for men to also try to understand and participate. So thank you for saying that. Oh, not my pleasure. Yeah, no, on your question, I was actually, now that I'm recalling, I was at the firm when it first started. Okay. I was not one of the, I was quite junior. I was not one of the founding members, I suppose, or founding mm-hmm. committee members. Right. Um, but as soon as someone um, sort of told me about it, you know, they said, Megan, this seems like it would be right up your alley. Um, it, it just immediately, I felt such a pull. Yes. Right. Oh my gosh. Of course I have to become involved in it. <laughs> and then a few years later, I became one of the co-chairs. And you said you felt this immediate pull. What was, was it like a light switch? And you're like, oh my gosh, this is, this, this is just awesome. And was there any apprehension even going into that or becoming a part of that, uh, that group? Yeah, no, it's a really interesting question, actually. And I, you know, I actually feel like it's both of, it's both, it's both of what you said. Mm-hmm. 
it's, I felt like perhaps I had gotten a little bit away from what I know to be my purpose in life, which is advocating for women mm-hmm. and causing positive change and advancement for women's opportunities. Right. And when I, I, I think so, it was a light switch when I had heard about, you know, the firm is starting this women's network. It was like something that had long been dormant within me was then coming back to life. And I also believe I felt a little bit of apprehension because, you know, I think, I think this is, you know, this is also a reason why a lot of people, a lot of other women don't tell their stories. I think there is, and, you know, and totally understandable, there is a fear, I think, of being uh, seen to be or afraid of being seen to be as like a troublemaker as that term is used, Um, you know, that trying to push for changes that may not actually be welcome. Mm -hmm. And there was actually um, in, you know, in this regard, something that did happen to me um, with, in in respect of one of the initiatives that I had uh, pushed for at the firm. And so I did see how it actually could, you know, sort of come to pass. So there was definitely an apprehension, but I feel like I've always tried to push beyond that fear because of it being the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I believe that like, this is the right thing to do. And as long as I could reconnect to that, I was able to, for the most part, I think, push beyond the fears that I had right. of being seen to be a troublemaker. Yeah, I can understand that. And and it definitely was the right thing to do. So thank you. I mean, look, we're talking to you from, you know, St. Louis, Missouri over in the United States. I mean, your article is reaching the masses. Um, so that's that's amazing. You should be really proud of yourself. Um, so kind of back up. So the title of the article is How to Retain More Women in Law. Um, I thought the title was really interesting because it's it's not, it's saying the industry is isn't having issues finding talented women. It's having issues keeping the that's talented right. women. And that's yep. a big difference. So can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. You know, I think, um, you know, it's, it's very clear. It's very clear, very clearly documented that women are now 50% or even more of law school graduates and similarly entering into the legal profession, either 50% or more. It was the same at my firm. It was women were 50% of all the intake. And then at some point, it just drops off dramatically. You know, I, 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 I can't remember exactly what the percentage was like, but it was like 13% female partners. Like, where do all those women go? It's like just crowds of women leaving. Mm-hmm. And that was always, I feel like, the guiding question of our initiatives, you know, in the Women's Network. Like, why is this? And then how do we change that so that doesn't happen? So it's absolutely the dynamic you just described that there's no, it seems to be at least, um, you know, where we are now in 2021, no issue with getting women into the profession. It's why are they leaving the profession, particularly, I think, law firms? And then how do we change that? And I know that um, I also read per your article, you know, you had heard story after story from your colleagues, your female colleagues um, on this very topic. Um did you notice a common thread 
with those stories and what was that commonality? Yes, yes, there are many. There are many. I mean, you know, as I said, so many of the stories that I've been hearing from women from around the world, it's like we could be each other Mm -hmm. of like how similar some of the stories or experiences are. Generalizing the experience or the common thread, it's like over the course of your career, there are so many what in isolation are perhaps like little things that happen. You know, some, you might call it like a microaggression in other contexts. Mm, Okay. That like cumulatively over a woman's career, they matter because, you know, on the one hand, it just makes it incrementally more difficult for women to progress. On the other hand, I think women, you know, it's like it um, deteriorates your resolve. You know, it's like your will and determination to, to make it in this kind of environment. You get tired. You're like, right. you know, I'm like, I'm sick of dealing with this stuff. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are those are really common threads. And then ultimately that feeling, as I described in my article of like, when you ultimately hit what feels like such a block that you cannot permeate, it is like a sense of grief. This is how I describe it. And I've heard this from other women because after so long of building your career, it's like, my God, what has it all meant? And mm-hmm. where, what am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a sense of grief yeah, it's just a horrible, horrible feeling. You know, you said microaggressions. I think that that's interesting because I remember it took me back to something also you said, which was, um, I think you guys had a ban, for lack of a better words, of dear sirs. That's right. Right? Um, so again, a microaggression of dear sirs, you know, so that, that... That's it. Yeah. Yep. And and I'm, I got the time. So I so I spearheaded that initiative. Right. Um, I felt, you know, so strongly about it from the moment I entered the firm, you know, even to this day, frankly, Sue, people say to me, oh, like, why would you bother with that? Like, it's such a little thing. You know, when I talk to these people who have that opinion, I think this is why we have to keep going because there are still people who believe this isn't a big thing Mm -hmm. that women are receiving emails or letters, Mm -hmm. dear sirs, Mm -hmm. what does that say to them? Women perhaps shouldn't be here mm-hmm. or aren't getting the respect that they deserve. One of the first things, I mean, there's many things in the article that stood out to me, but one of the first things that stood out, well, early, it's early in your article, was you gave a few concrete examples um, that you knew of women, going back to this uh, international law firm. For example, uh, women were, some women, I don't know how many, were told during their annual review that they shouldn't be so obvious about ambi- about their ambition. So I sat and then I, I thought about that. How is a woman being obvious of being ambitious any different than a man being obvious about his ambition? You know, I read that too, Randy. <laughs> and interesting you brought that up because it sparked anger in me whenever yeah. I read that in your article. Yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me? Right. I mean, we, we all want to be successful. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, my... The level of success I want to achieve is probably different than you, Sue, sure. different than Megan, different than Justin sitting in our control booth. But, you know, part of our, I mean, our work lives are part of our existence. Yeah. I mean, wh- you know, whether we're married, we have family or not, whatever, you know, whatever in, in, in individual circumstances are. But that's part of our makeup as we grow older. You, you're either ambitious, even yeah. to a minimal point that people notice it. But that, to me, that means you care about your job and you care about, I don't want to say your perception, but you care about how your colleagues and coworkers 
you know, perceive you as that's someone I would like to work with, or I'm glad that individual right. is is a part of the team, no matter what they do. That that just really stuck out stuck out to me, and I I literally stopped reading the article, and I started looking at myself. Well, how how obvious am I? I try to live by my by the mantra of my father. He goes, "Show up on time, mm-hmm. work hard, do the best you can, and whatever." And, and you know that that could change from day that's to right. day. Yeah, that could really change. Beautiful. Right, that could change from day to day. You know, I go home if and if. And I know if I didn't give 110% that day and I'm like, well, now you're, you know, I try to teach my kids that. Mm-hmm. And my son's living it now as a, as a professional in journalism. So that really, th- that word obvious, mm-hmm. obviously stuck out. Megan, I mean, when you, when you were hearing that, what were your feelings? I had heard it from other people and I also experienced it myself, unfortunately, right. where in a review, the message I got you know, and it's one of those things you never forget because it just stings so badly. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it comes as such a shock. Like you said, you know, here I am as a, I was a relatively junior associate at that point feeling, you know, like I'm doing well, I'm, you know, getting good client feedback. I feel like I'm making good connections, you know, um, living my purpose as a lawyer, like everything's going great. And then to hear, you know, Megan, it's, it's been noted that you're, you're very ambitious. You know, and it was just the way, like it, the way it was said was like, oh, God forbid, you know, like I've really, I've done something wrong here. Right. Um, and, you know, and as I say in the article, I, it, I think it just reflects such a, you know, probably often unconscious bias, maybe conscious bias right. of it's just not something that men are accused of nor penalized for, it, you know, it's, right. I think because it's assumed that like the, the, you know, the, the male associates, my counterparts, um, uh, you know, should be ambitious or are ambitious. But when it came to the women, it was almost like, you know, maybe just tone it down a bit because, you know, maybe you're making others feel uncomfortable or we're not really used to women, you know, appearing so obviously ambitious. So kind of tone it down. <laughs> how how can you tell a lawyer not to be ambitious? I, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't, to me, it doesn't matter your gender. Well, I mean, uh, you know, an attorney or even a doctor, I look at those two professions. I mean, they're they provide very important. It should be kind of in the job title. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, 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 right. If if a lawyer isn't ambitious, uh-huh. or you, do you want to hire that? Exactly. Lawyer? Right. Yeah. Do you right. want to pick up the phone right. and call? That? Not so much. Right. Exactly. No. You know. And, and speaking of Sting, I know. Also, in your article, it talks about after the birth of your daughter. Um, you know, you were essentially told if you you know switched your um, time that you were coming in and leaving work from more of a nine to five structure that you were quote unquote of no value. Yeah. That had to sting. That had to really, really sting. Can you talk about, can you talk about your facial expressions after you were told that? (laughs) Really? Yeah. (laughs) Because I wouldn't have uh, been able to help. Were your facial facial (laughs) expressions obvious? They had to be. I, I think I do have quite an expressive face, uh-huh. and you know, on at, uh, during that, it was a, it was actually a phone conversation. So my oh, so okay. my face. So good thing. <laughs> it was probably a good thing, yeah. but you know, again, it was one of those that I'll, I'll never forget. You know, of course, for many reasons. One of them was up until that point, I had been so measured. I had been so measured because at that point, I was in. You know, I was definitely as I actually had been 
you know, really throughout, like in solutions mode, like how let's please solve this. Like, here are some ideas, you know, here's an idea, like, please let's solve this. Here's how I think it's going to work. I have been so measured. Um, and then when that was said, you know, Megan, um, you know, like if you were, yeah, as I had said in the article, if you're going to work fixed hours, you would have no value. I, that was it. I like, I could not control the emotion anymore, which is when I started almost yelling, like, how, how could that be as a nearly 10th year senior associate with all of my experience that I would have bring no value to the firm if I were working, you know, let's say eight to four, nine to five every day, working my butt off. How can it be that I would have no value? That's when I start, you know, almost shouting and my eyes start watering, you know, um, and it hurt like hell. It hurt like hell. I'm sure. I, I can only imagine. Yeah. Again, well, anybody being told that you you would have you're of no value or no right. value, especially after ten yeah. years. Yeah, absolutely. And, right, right, and it's like actually, gosh. So for ten years, like my value has been my ability to work until two in the morning. Right. Right. Like, is that really how we are valuing our most important asset, our people? Right. Mm-hmm. It just like that's what shook me so badly to my core. Like, my God, what have I been doing for 10 years? Mm-hmm. Right. So, do you think the pandemic forced many companies to take notice that employees can get their work done in less of a traditional way? Um, you know, I'm thinking more of, you know, you're feeding your newborn or you're rocking your newborn to sleep as well as sending an email. I mean, it's possible. So, do you think? just the whole pandemic and everything being locked down, forcing people in more of a at-home, non-traditional structure that opened people's eyes, firms' eyes, executives' eyes. Yes, I think that's a lovely thought. And of course, it's true. You know, I think one of the one of the comments that was common that I got was, you know, it's like suddenly with the pandemic, so many things that people thought or people said what w- were impossible became possible. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. All of a sudden we can work from home. Right. Right. So all <laughs> yeah. the firms that were like, I don't think working from mm-hmm. home is going to work. Oh, actually, no, we can. Right. Um, so I would like to think, yes, like that is, you know, of course we have to acknowledge the, you know, unspeakable human toll of the pandemic. Yes. At, you know, at, when I say that, I think one silver lining perhaps could be this idea of, well, gosh, we really can rethink work. It doesn't have to be done the way it has been done over so many you know, years, decades. However, I think just one thing I would say though, I guess, about your comments about like rocking your baby while sending an email, what was really important to me, and I do think this is a personal choice, was having the separation or the space to be a fully present mom. Mm -hmm. As I describe in the article, the request that I had for my firm, which was rejected, as we know now, Mm -hmm. was to work set hours Mm -hmm. because I did not want to feel what always felt like this constant anxiety or pressure at all hours. Gosh, I better check my email because someone might need something and I need to get it back to them as soon as possible. Sure. So... I feel, you know, as I've heard from other parents like during the pandemic, in some ways, this like working from home has been like a blessing as much as it's been a curse mm-hmm. because it's like your home, you're expected to be, you know, oh, like, oh, they're home, they're working, you know, they don't have to commute home, that sort of thing. Right. So um, 
you know, I feel like I, I have a nervousness. I have a nervousness with employers when they say to their employees um, things like, well, I don't mind, you know, I don't mind where or how you get it done as long as you get it done. Because I think particularly for law firms where there is a ton of work always that has mm-hmm. to be done. Right. right. Basically what you're saying is, I actually expect you to work all hours. Like, I don't think that's a healthy dynamic. Mm-hmm. So I, I would rather be hearing it's important to take time away from work. So, you know, at a certain time every day, please step away from your email, step away from your computer and turn back to your work the next day. Right. I think, I, like, I, I, think, I think a lot of people tout that idea of like, I don't mind how you get your work done as long as you get it done as like this like virtue or really great thing. Mm-hmm. And it makes me feel nervous because I think it puts pressure on people to overwork. Sure. And I, you know, I... I, I do not want to participate in this in this culture of what I think is um, unnecessary overworking because right. I think it's taking a real toll on us as humans. When you made this proposal to your former employer, I would think, and, and you said you were um, you you had been there for at least ten years. Is that correct? Did yeah, I hear that almost correct? ten years. Yeah. almost ten years. Yep. And you said you were a, a senior associate level, correct? Yep. I'm I'm a focus group of one, but if someone were to propose something like that. They, an individual, Megan, such as yourself, you're taking ownership of that proposal. And I would, I can, I'm, I, I'm still surprised that it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman. Someone is taking the time to submit a proposal there. That individual is making a commitment saying I can be a value to the firm or a company. And I know I can perform that same level you know, working set hours, nine to five, eight to four, eight to six, whatever. And, and and if this is just even 10 years ago, even 10 years ago, I find that surprising. Again, I, you know, I'm, I may be a little naive. Well, fun. you know, it's actually really interesting, Randy, you say that, just to interject something here. I one, sure. of the, one of the people, one of the women that reached out to me recently told me something similar happened to her and it was about 10 years ago mm-hmm. and it made me, and it, you know, and we were just reflecting yeah. So this is how little progress, actually no progress we've made in 10 years right. and how much longer will we go before? Right. We can- and, you know, I've every now and then, whether it's myself or my wife or a family member or a coworker, you know, we'll read about a study, um, you know, on work, you know, workplace productivity or, or whatever. And so, and with the pandemic, I think actually, and I can't remember where I read it or heard it or who conducted the study, but productivity in this one company actually went up 40%. Oh, that's yeah. a lot. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. th- that's that's the wow. ballpark of the statistic. Mm-hmm. But productivity actually went up 40%. Wow. And if I remember right, and hopefully I'm not making this part up, but that almost made me think, well, working from home, you know, if, if productivity went up 40%, so then I started to think, well, what, what does that do to the work week? Does that mean there could be a shorter work week? And then that's getting off the, the topic we're talking about. But still, someone, an employee, no matter what level, they're making a commitment, a proposal saying, I can do this. I could be a value. And almost saying, yeah, great idea, but no thank you. Right. Dismissed very right. quickly, it sounds like. Absolutely. Not even an opportunity was given to prove right. that you could do that. Right. And that was yeah. a question I had written down as far as, changes, changes early in your career till now. 
you don't feel like you've seen any change, whether that's a good change, bad change? Some change. You know, as I address in in my article, I believe that the Women's Network, we were doing, you know, we were doing good things. We were, our initiatives didn't, you know, did make a difference, did matter, like no longer using dear sirs, using gender neutral language, right. mm-hmm. this, um, this gender equality commitment that we launched that over 2000 people around the firm signed, which committed people to taking everyday actions to combat um, issues that still persisted. So I don't, I don't think our efforts were in vain by any means. I think though, as we've seen, you know, just so clearly in the data, whilst these initiatives are good and they are important, really they're still only making progress around the edges. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as I saw in my own experience, when it really comes down to it, you know, when a law firm is really faced with a choice of, okay, we can really do something here to keep this, this woman, you know, particularly if she's asking for it, or we want to keep the status quo. We're not willing to put another associate on it. Like there's so many other things you could do that probably would, you know, or perhaps would result in perhaps making um, a lower recovery on a matter. When the choice is given, it seems like law firms are not thinking innovatively mm-hmm. um, or are willing to make those changes that will really actually make a difference. I'm curious if you have witnessed um, a company or a firm really bend over backwards for a male counterpart for paternity leave or any kind of other medical leaves? It's really interesting. And only something someone had told me after they read the article was, Megan, I'm so surprised to hear that because a number of years ago, they allowed, the firm allowed a male partner to be on regular hours as a result of something that was going on in his life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I haven't verified it myself. I, you know, I, I don't, this, I don't, you know, I'm sure what this person is saying is, 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 sure. is wrecked. I don't have personal knowledge of it, but yeah, <laughs> I think that was another right. one of those moments where I'm like, well, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's like just horrible. Yeah. You it's know? a kick right. in the yeah. teeth. I mean, it is. Truly, yeah. yeah. That's terrible. It's almost as if Sue was reading my mind as to what question I wanted to ask next. So her question is... That's why we're so good together, Randy. Right. And, and this is, right. They're going to invite and, us back. We're going oh, to be the host from now on. Are we being too obvious in our ambition? <laughs> we no, are I'm being not too trying obvious to make light, in our no, ambition. Right. But, but talking about law firm culture, what aspects of established law firm culture have to shift in order for women to feel like they can have an entire career at a law firm? Yes. So So absolutely the cultural cultural aspects i think have to shift the mm-hmm. sort of legacy problems that still have not been fully shaken off things like the bro culture like a lot no. of male focused client bonding events that sort of thing that <laughs> perhaps are not <laughs> i'm a, i'm a male and i hate um, i shouldn't say hate i prefer <laughs> i do not like the the bro culture the, or, the even bro the, or, or even the label bro. I just don't like it. I agree with you. I well, know I agree with you. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use it either, but I recently right. have heard a woman speak about this. Um, wow. Yeah. You know, I, as what sort of her work is I just, regarding I just, law for culture. I just don't like it. Mm-mm. I mean, for women that, don't either. Well, yeah. I understand. I understand. I Let's just agree not to use right, it. Right, yeah. yeah. I just, I, you know, when it first came out, I'm like, what are they talking about? I mean, just general, just that that term in general. I always say that it's a point of raising awareness 
because I think it's by raising awareness that you foster understanding and then understanding fosters change. And I think having a culture that is really committed to speaking out or calling attention to things that happen that are not in furtherance of, in, of an inclusive culture. So mm-hmm. just to give you an example of what I'm talking about, um, I remember being on a call once and as was very common, I was the only woman on this call and we were speaking about a client who was a man and we, one of the um, men on the call was saying, you know, he's, he's, um, he's really acting like a woman. Like he's quite, you know, like he's quite nervous about how the transaction was going. He said like, you know, he's, he's acting like a woman. He's, he said that. He said that. Yes. And wow. I remember, you know, as the only woman in the room having that moment of like feeling like, you know, all of a sudden my face went so red and I'm getting like hot and sweaty and like filled with like, okay, Rage. so this is the, this, <laughs> right. Right. And I'm looking around like, does anyone else, did anyone else hear that? Like, does anyone right. else realize like this, we, we should not say that. And this is what I'm also talking about, as I said earlier, of like those microaggressions where, so in that moment, rather than being a fully engaged lawyer thinking, okay, so I'm on a call here, like we're talking about next steps on this transaction, like what I have to do. I'm completely sidelined because I'm no longer thinking about that. Mm. I'm now thinking about, okay, well, Megan, so like, you know, in a very upset state, um, well, is this one of those times that I should say something or am I going to be seen to be, you know, causing trouble again? Um, are they not going to get it? Um, you know, and that's those kind of incidents that I think women, you know, you it's like you always have to make that decision of like, okay, you know, cause people say, pick your battles. Is this going to be the battle that I'm going to pick? Or should I kind of like save my save my battle picking for another time when it's like, a, you know, an even bigger thing. Right. And, you know, those are the, exactly the types of things that I'm talking about that I say like accumulate over the course of a woman's career. And so, you know, so on that occasion, I didn't, I didn't actually end up saying anything. Right. <laughs> and, you know, it, it starts even before a woman's career. I have a daughter who's in high yeah. school and she will come home and she will talk about little things like, um, you know, items that, that the boys say, you mm-hmm. know, about being, you know, you're just a girl or, you know, you can't do that or something like that. And I was like, don't, don't allow that. You know, you have yep. to stick up for yourself right. and you have to let them know just because I'm a girl doesn't mean that I can't right. do those things. So it starts very, very early. And I also think, Sue, educating those boys. Yes. yes. Right. Like I think like, of, of parents, parents of boys yes. as well. Like it's not just educating the girls yeah. to speak up for themselves. Mm-hmm. It's about educating the boys why that's not okay. Yeah. And I've seen a shift on that. I feel like in the, the last couple of years, as far as people always talking and, and focusing in on educate the girls, build up the, the women and the girls and things like that. And I've really, I feel like I've seen a bit of a shift where people are kind of starting to hone in a little bit more on maybe we should educate the boys, you know? So I've seen that shift a bit. And that's, and that's, that's exactly the shift as well that I, you know, was advocating for. And I feel like started to see a little bit of, um, which is, I feel like a lot of, you know, a lot of the prior focus, you know, at law firms had been sending women to, you know, leadership type conferences, you know, I participated in one, like seeing, you know, senior associate women to learn leadership skills and to empower ourselves mm-hmm. until I start thinking like, you know, women, we're like, we're great. We know what we're doing. 
It's we so like, don't, 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 <laughs> like we don't, we, we don't need to be fixed. Don't fix us. That's fix right. The law so right. Sue says that comment. She looks right at me again. This is, Poor this man. is the longest I've ever been in a room with Sue. She makes that comment. She looks right at me and I'm like, my gosh, Sue, we just met. <laughs> that's it, you know, and I think like, it's, it's, you know, it was, um, I feel like the old sort of the older sure. way of thinking was like the Sheryl Sandberg, like lean in, like mm-hmm. sit at the table. There's, right. you know, and there's a lot of goodness in that for sure. Yeah. But I think it only takes you so far. And because I think the second part of the uh, answer I wanted to give Randy to your question sure. is it's not. So what I said about like changing culture is so important, mm-hmm. but what I saw, and as I described in my article, what I really think is needed and is like actually what will cause the change is law firms being willing to be more innovative in terms of their business models. So, you know, for corporate transactional associates like me, you no longer insist upon a corporate transactional lawyer working, you know, all hours, 24 seven, but you not just accommodate, I hate that word, not just accommodate, but welcome Right. welcome mm-hmm. different ways of working, different models of working. Right. You know, and ideally it's not even having to come from, you know, from the women themselves. I think mm-hmm. that was another part of the problem. Like women feeling like, well, gosh, it's like me and this like huge, you know, multi-dollar, multi-million, multi-billion, you know, dollar firm. Um, like, you know, hire some consultants here, mm-hmm. like come up with some other models that you're willing to accept that will, enable lawyers to not, you know, have to work 24 seven, which I believe will then allow them to stay in their careers for longer. I don't want this conversation in. (laughs) I'm I'm, literally that that's why whenever I read Megan's article, I'm like, we got to have her on. There's so much here. Yeah, absolutely. So much to unpack. And I know I promised, I always promise our guests, whether I'm talking to them on the phone or through email, no surprises. This is somewhat of a surprise. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I forgot to, to give Megan a heads up, but, but, but at the, at the end of, you know, in kind of the footnote section of, of your article, Megan, it said you you're a published author of a book. Yeah. So it says Megan published her first book, enjoy your life thoughts for awakened daughters from conscious mothers for her daughter and all daughters in order to raise and donate all proceeds to women's charities. What inspired you? To, well, I kind of have an idea. I love the title, Enjoy Your Life, Thoughts for Awakened Daughters from Conscious Mothers. Mm-hmm. Was it your platform that inspired you to write the book? Having my daughter, giving birth to my daughter, Lily, and then because I live in the UK, having what actually ended up being a 13-month maternity leave was such a gift. It was such a gift. It gave me such space, space I don't think I've ever actually had in my life because I'd always been so focused on becoming a lawyer and like achieving, achieving, achieving. Um, you know, space to just like reflect on my life, my purpose, my family, what I'm here to do. And I became such a seeker. You know, I was seeking so many different sources of wisdom and inspiration um, that, you know, as, as time went on, you know, over the first couple of months of that maternity leave, I thought there's so much here that I really want to share with my daughter. And I started thinking like, what is a way that I could give back to the world? Like what gifts do I have? And I consider myself, you know, a a good writer, a great writer. And I thought, well, why don't I write a book 
and I'll donate all the proceeds. Right. And so it was just this beautiful way of fusing, I suppose, my, you know, really what I wanted to do of giving back and putting pen to paper of all of these thoughts and insights mm-hmm. that I was, you know, learning and reflecting on and wanted to share with my daughter um, and all daughters. Megan, as you were just describing it, um, I don't know, and it's, it, I don't know why I'm doing this recently, but whether I'm talking to my daughter or my wife or other people, when you were just talking about you were so focused on wanting to become and then becoming a lawyer, it's almost like the example is like you're in a tunnel, you're in a car, you're in a tunnel. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're, you're going to a destination and you're going to a tunnel. Okay. So you got tunnel vision as you're coming out of that tunnel, you're back in a wide open space. You have an opportunity to see everything that's in front of you and having your daughter, I think when you were describing that, that's, that's what I thought of was that example. Yeah. I've used that recently. Um, you know, describing things with, you know, talking with my daughter or my wife or my son. So I can, I can relate to it in one sense. So. Absolutely. It's so, wonderful. Yeah. Well, um, that's so great to hear. Thank you. Well, we are, I, again, I hate to come to an end, but I think we've, we've reached our limit. I want everyone, all of our listeners to um, go to LinkedIn and find Megan Elizabeth Gray and you can get a link to the article that we've been discussing. You can also go to the abajournal.com and you can find it there as I'm looking at my notes. Um, I believe it was in the Your submissive, your Submissions, Your Voice section. Or just go to Google, type in Megan. That's right. Just go to Google. Megan, yeah, Megan Elizabeth Gray, uh, common spellings for all three names, and just type in uh, her name and it'll come up because I did it. And that's, it came up as one of the top uh, uh, search listings. So, Megan, thank you so much for your time. This was wonderful. Yes, thank you. And so I... Thank you for using your platform again. I mean, truly, as a woman, you know, I see women like you. And I know just by reading your article, hearing you speak, I know the hurdles that you have jumped over. So, truly, thank you. Yes. So... Thank you. Thank you both so much no for giving me yeah, even more of a platform to be able to talk with you it's great. and for sharing your thoughts as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm- wonderful. And and if there's any other topics, we and we always invite our guests to submit if there's any other topics they want to talk about. If it's, you know, another topic related to our discussion today or something completely different, uh, we're always open to that. So, again, we thank Megan Elizabeth Gray, uh, part of the in-house legal staff at Condé Nast, London-based. Um I'm Randy Shorefide, your pinch-hitting guest, and then my special guest host, uh, Sue, Sue Cunningham, Cunningham, the co-host. Right, right, right <laughs> who I've never met face-to-face until today. So thank you for listening, and uh, we'll talk to everyone next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to The Lex Factor. Lexicon takes care of business so you can take care of law. Learn how to build a better practice at lexiconservices.com.